When was the last time that you truly paused to give thanks to God for the freedom that you have in Him? You see, my friends, sometimes as Christians, we can take things for granted. We can get into a rut and we can miss out on the blessings that God has given us because we take them for granted. Well, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 in today's episode, and we're going to be reminded of the blessings that we have because we are free in Christ. So turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and let's get into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. Jason Jimenez here. So blessed to be with you guys here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Appreciate the time that you guys are taking as we dive into the book of Galatians. It's hard to believe as I was looking over my notes here in studio This is podcast 177, where we left off was Galatians 4 at the end of the chapter, verses 21 through 31, where Paul made the appeal using the Torah. And before we dive into Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, I want to say it's such a great reminder to all of us that we need to know the Bible. In order for Paul to use scripture as a defense to help the Galatians understand that the Judaizers were leading them astray and giving them the ultimate standard, which is God's word, in order for him to have done that, several things. One, we saw in Galatians 4, his love for the Galatians. He cared enough to speak the truth. But in order to know the truth and speak the truth, he had to be in it. And that's just a great reminder. That's why I'm so appreciative of so many of you out there listening on different platforms that you desire to want to know God's word. And so I'm just excited as we're now going into a new series today that we are blessed as followers of Jesus Christ who have freedom in Christ. We have been set free, my friends. And many of you listening, Christ has saved you literally from probably uh, devastating things, abuses, that if you remained in that lifestyle, you'd be dead. I cannot tell you how many amazing, miraculous stories as you know, people sharing their testimonies of Christ appearing to them or having a vision or them crying out desperately for God to save them. And he sent an angel, uh, sent somebody just out of nowhere and delivered them from their despair. And as Christians, a lot of us, and it's sad, I was just having a conversation with a pastor recently Where's the joy among Christians? So one of the things I asked him, I said, I know this is, it's not that it's next to impossible, but it may be difficult to measure the joy that is represented in your church. But, but when you look at your church, are you a joyful church? Not just celebratory when you have events or like a worship session and some people are raising their hands because they like the song and it's a good beat or whatever or does convict and inspire some people. I'm saying beyond that, the joy of giving, the joy of listening, the joy of seeing someone that you haven't seen in a while, letting them know that, the joy that we have. I love the song, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And one of 
uh, a classic worship leader guy that I used to listen to that version when he'd go through Calvary chapels was Fernando Ortega. And I would just listen to that over and over and over again, especially when I was going through a very dark time. And it was such a powerful reminder that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. And so as we look at Galatians 5 verse 1, you guys, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So again, as I said in my opener, if you have been taking it for granted, if this is something you tend to overlook oftentimes, um, and you don't recall a time when you're like, you know what, I am going to pause and just worship God and thank him that I am free, that he's not just saved me from drugs or from sex or porn or, or some form of substance abuse or codependency on somebody. But most importantly, he saved me from my sins. That this is, a, this is a time now as we dive into how we can stand firm in grace. The, the, this is a time where we can find that joy again, my friends, in the freedom that we have in Christ. So the series now that we're going to be looking at in Galatians 5 verses 1 through 26 is Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. And so the first thing we're to look at here in verse 1 is how we can stand firm in his grace because of the freedom that we have. So let's dive right in to this passage. Let me just read it again. We're just going to be exploring one key verse. You're thinking just one verse today? Absolutely, because it is so powerful. Listen to this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So as Paul transitions into his third section, the practical and fruitful application of living in the freedom of Christ, he now stops and interjects this verse. And it's amazing, you guys, because it acts like a summary verse that captures the entirety of his entire letter. Okay, the whole letter of Galatians is summed up in this verse. Matter of fact, many people have argued, one being Martin Luther himself, the great theologian who launched really essentially the, 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 the Reformation. This, this is the liberty verse. This is a summation uh, in some cases of the gospel. And I want to break it down for you because the first part of this verse, for freedom of Christ now that, that same, I'm going to explain a little bit, you guys, because I know in the in the English, for freedom, Christ has set us freedom, set us free. It kind of sounds a little odd, but when you see that first part, it summarizes chapters three and four, and then the last part of the verse, stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, acts as a transition to chapters five and six. So now you know essentially when you look at Galatians five verse one, it acts as a first part to chapter three and four. And then it acts as a, as, a, as a second part to five and six, which is the chunk, obviously, of the letter itself. You're thinking, well, what about chapter one and two? Well, chapter one and two is dealing testimonially about Paul and his calling as, a, as an apostle and where he spent his time as he matured and evolved and then how he got into ministry and then how he had to confront uh, sin among Peter and others leading to the council, remember, in Acts chapter 15. So this is great when you, that when you have a, a verse like this that acts as a transitional section. So it's very important to understand that. The other thing is that Paul, what he'll do is he'll continue defending against the understanding of, catch this, anti-nominalism. Now, this is a belief that rejects any view that Christians are under the law or legalism and free to sin at will. So there is a belief system, you guys, that was telling people that, oh no, freedom in Christ is you could, you could do whatever you want. 
But that's obviously false because in Galatians chapter 2, 17 through 20, this is what Paul said, addressing this false belief. Quote, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So clearly, we know that we're not saved to keep on sinning. Clearly, we know that being free in Christ does not mean that we have free access to sin or the freedom to sin. So the Bible completely rejects that belief system. Now, let's go a little deeper into this term freedom. As I was mentioning earlier in English, it says for freedom, quote, or I should say comma, for freedom, comma, Christ set us free. So there seems to be a little bit of a jaggedness in this in English, and certainly it is when you're trying to, you know, through the transliteration. So let's understand the emphasis, though, that the English is trying to capture in the Greek that Paul was writing in. So the Greek word here is aletheria, okay? It literally means the state of being free from an oppressive force. So let's look back. So when it says for being in the state of freedom from this oppressive force, Christ has set us free. So what he's saying is he set us free from what? An oppressive force of bondage because the word was used to contrast those in bondage as slaves. And the same word is used in chapter four, verse 31, where Paul says, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So remember he was giving uh, the comparison between Hagar and Sarah with Ishmael and with Isaac. So we have freedom because we come from the free woman. So this Greek term eletheria describes the new life that comes in Christ and us living in accordance to his will. So it's saying you have been saved, literally, you've been taken from an oppressive force so that you can live in accordance in this new life according to God's will. So that's in essence what it means. So let's now unpack a little bit more about where it says Christ, when Paul says here, Christ has set us free. This phrase is written in the Eros active indicative, which is very common and you see that throughout the book of Galatians, where he writes in the Eros active indicative. And what that means is that Paul is signifying past actions because Christ's death and his resurrection, because it occurred and it had results, it's caused you and I to be able to live in freedom today. So because it's factually true, and because it's factually true, it also has significance, not just physically, but spiritually. That is what gives us the freedom that we now have and forevermore. Christ has set us free. He came into the world of a sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day, as he predicted, he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death. 
So because of that, Christ has set us free. Now, the West word studies from the Greek New Testament writes, quote, the word free, going back to chapter four, verse 31, is the translation of the same Greek word rendered liberty in this verse. The word is dative of advantage. The teaching is that Christ died on the cross to give us the advantage of having this liberty or freedom. This liberty consists of the Christian's freedom from the law. Under the law, the person has no more liberty than a child in its minority under a guardian. The child has no freedom of action, nor right or of self-determination. He must move within a set of rules prescribed by his guardian. He is not old enough to act alone. He must always act under the restrictions of his guardian. So is it with a person under the law. Here were these Galatian Christians, free from the law, having been placed in the family of God, as adult sons, indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, who would enable them to act out in their experience that maturity of Christian life in which they were placed, now putting on the straight jacket of the law, cramping their experience, stultifying their actions, depriving themselves of the power of the Holy Spirit. They were like adults putting themselves under rules made for children, end quote. Now that's some heavy words, but in essence, notice what they're saying the West word study, examining the Greek meaning of the text. That the word is dative of advantage and it has to do with liberty. It's rendered liberty. So some people, if we just read it the way they oftentimes translate in some translation, for freedom crisis, given us liberty. Okay? So for freedom, God rules, right? The goodness prevails. So for freedom, that's the absolute good. And saying that Christ has set us free, he's delivered us not just from sin and death, but also he fulfilled the law. So he accomplished what was needed because the law cannot go, um, the, the, I should say this, that when you think about the law, the law, it, it, it is what it is, right? And so you can't just overlook the law and it not be completed. So Christ came and he fulfilled the law to say, I am not a lawbreaker. I have fulfilled everything that the law requires. Man couldn't do that. Adam and Eve obviously failed from the beginning in the garden, but Christ came to be that fulfillment. So that's the freedom as well, you guys, that we're talking about is we have freedom and Christ has set us free because of what he's done. And that's the, the date of an advantage. He's giving us an advantage because he is the mark. He is the model. He's the representative. He's the second Adam. Isn't that amazing? So we can stand firm because Christ has set us free. He has given us an advantage. And that's what Paul's saying now is because of this, you can stand firm. That's, that's, he writes this in, remember I told you in the Eros indicative. Now he writes in the imperative stand firm because he's saying because of this, you can do this. You can't do this if that never happened. So let's put it in context. If Christ never came to fulfill the law perfectly, we couldn't be saved from it. But because Christ came and fulfilled the law and he conquered the power of sin and death, we therefore, given an advantage because of Christ, are able in the imperative 
to continue to stand firm, to continue to be immovable because our source of our faith is immovable. We have an unshakable faith. That carries the idea of not being swayed from leaving. And in, in this case, not being swayed or to leave the salvation that we have in Christ. And what are you leaving to? In this case with the Galatians, is there a, they're, they're contemplating whether to listen to the Judaizers who are telling them to leave what, the, what message Paul's in preaching to the law. However, this is only made possible by what God has done for us, not because of what the law has done for us. And there are many passages where Paul commands the church to, to be strong in their faith. If you notice, with, with our ministry, Stand Strong Ministries, it's taken from Galatians 5.1, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 3, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, uh, Philippians 1.27, Philippians 4, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 8, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15. Paul over and over again in his letters told the church to stand strong in their faith. And that's why today our ministry reinforces biblical truth to remind Christians, to encourage Christians, to embolden Christians to stand strong in their faith. That's biblical. And we can do so because of what Christ has done for us. I like what the IVP New Testament commentary says regarding this, the term stand, fir stand firm. It says, quote, Paul illustrated in his autobiography how he stood firm in his freedom against false brothers who infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. That's referencing chapter two, verse four. He did not give in to their pressure to make Titus a Gentile convert, a Jew by circumcision. Now, similar false teachers have infiltrated the ranks of the Galatian churches with the same demand. They have been putting the Galatian converts under intense pressure to become Jews by being circumcised. So when we have opposition, you guys, how do we respond? We stand firm. That's what Paul says. Hey, listen, you guys know what Christ has done for us. Never, ever forget that. That's why... When we go before God every day and pray, one of the things that I commonly pray is, Lord, thank you for atoning for my sins. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that I can resist temptation, that I don't go back to a yoke of slavery, that I'm not burdened by that because you delivered me from that. So in essence, what Paul is saying, you guys, is it's the duty of every Christian to defend the freedom that Christ has given each one of us. Now, if you're listening and you're an American citizen and you know about our constitution and our first amendment right in the bill of rights is, you know, uh, freedom of speech and in religion, etc., freedom of the press. And you hear a lot of Americans, which we're very proud of and we're very thankful that we have these freedoms. And th that's a, based on a Judeo-Christian ethic. And so you hear a lot about that, but, when do you hear as a Christian our duty to defend the freedom that we have in Christ? Now, sadly, we have a lot of carnal Christians or a lot of people who will be labeled progressive Christians who argue that they have freedom to sin because of what Christ has done for them or, or explain it away or a certain type of behavior is not sinful and they argue that way. No, we're arguing for living an honorable and holy life unto the Lord. 
because he's given us that opportunity. He's given us that chance, if you will. And so my question, if you're listening and you're contemplating, you're wishy-washy, just surrender your life to the Lord. Only Christ can set you free. You know, I love John 8, 36. Jesus said these words. Listen to these words, my friends. If the Son sets you free, guess what? You are free indeed. Later in this same chapter, or excuse me, later in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, Paul will write, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin will reign in our bodies, but the question is, will you let sin reign in your bodies continually? Or will you accept Christ who will set you free from your sin and let him reign in your body? That's a question that only you can answer by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that you believe that God raised him from the dead. But notice this key word now, submit. This is so important. So we see the value for freedom. We've been set free in Christ and we are to stand firm as a result. And now you have this term submit. And it, it submit is, in, is not, notice, it's not in connection with submitting to Christ who set us free. We are to stand therefore, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again. So he's referencing this, you guys, to sinful nature, to the sinful nature, to bondage. Because remember, go, go back to what he just said earlier in the first part, which was broken down in chapters three and four. We are set free from the bondage. And yes, we are now slaves of Christ. We now submit our will to Christ. But a better translation here, what Paul's conveying about not submitting again to the fleshly desire is literally saying to be burdened or oppressed by the yoke or the bondage of slavery. Now, many of Paul's readers were slaves or they had relatives who were slaves. So by reading this passage of scripture, they knew very clearly and they understood very clearly the weight of what Paul was saying to them. It would make no sense to them to revert back to slavery after experiencing freedom. So stand firm, therefore, and then do not submit. See, that's the difference, you guys. There are many people who come to Christ but they're not standing firm. And as a result, they will go back to the flesh. So you can be saved, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be free from your sin. That, and that's the case for all of us. But there are a lot of us who are living faithfully before God that we're sinning less and obeying more in the process of sanctification because we're not feeding the flesh like we once did. And, it's, and part of that is right, what we're doing right now is studying God's word, letting it wash our soul. And so Paul's saying, you got to stand firm and you can't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So up to this point, Paul has illustrated the law as a guardian, right? Chapter three, verse 24, chapter four, verse two. He also has illustrated the law as a slave woman in chapter four, verse 22. It's now in chapter five, verse one here, that Paul compares the law to a yoke of slavery. Now, this is interesting because in Jewish literature, the law was honored as a yoke to all of those people who obeyed it. So in one sense, and we got to understand this, in one sense, that's a good thing. The law was honored as a yoke to those people who obeyed it. So 
Jesus, of course, remember he came, he studied the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. We saw that when he was 12 years old at the temple, even at that point, he fulfilled the scriptures. So in the Jewish sense, in the, in the literature of the day, by living it and honoring it and following it and memorizing it, it was an honorable thing like a yoke to even someone like Jesus. However, yoke also had a dip, different meaning. It also symbolized bondage or slavery. Now, obviously, in the context we're looking at, Paul's explaining it by using the phrase yoke of slavery to be the bondage thing, not the honorable thing. And it not only captures the essence in his description here of religion under the law, but he also is relating a previous analogy regarding Ishmael, the slave son, and Isaac, the free son, in, again, chapter 4, verses 22 through 31, which we just read on last podcast. So if you missed that, you can go back to the previous podcast, podcast 176. So keeping the law was an unbearable burden. And people in that culture understood what Paul was saying. And it was an intolerable task for anyone. Intolerable. If you think about this, guys, for anyone, even, even today, when people I've talked to who've come out of cults and world religions that have just been oppressive and they have these bondage leaders who are telling them, you got to do this ritual, you got to do this sacrament, you got to do this, you got to be do this, you got to be do this. And you're constantly confessing, confessing, and confessing because you never know whether or not your sins are outweighing God's forgiveness. You never know, like Martin Luther, the great reformer, where he was torturing himself when he was, a, was, was coming in as a priest, whether or not his life was pleasing before God. And many times he wished himself dead because he could not deal with the, the guilt to, the, to even to, to a large degree in his early years, Martin would beat himself to try to beat out, if you will, the yoke of slavery in his life. Matter of fact, Martin Luther writes this regarding this passage. He says, like oxen that toil in the yoke all day and in the evening are turned out to graze along the dusty road and at last are marked for slaughter when they can no longer draw the burden. So those who seek to be justified by the law are entangled with a yoke of bondage. And when they have grown old and broken down in the service of the law, they have earned for their perpetual reward God's wrath and everlasting torment, end quote. And that's why you guys, in the end, when we look at this particular passage, we're reminded, let me give you one key passage in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, when Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In Acts 15, 6 through 11, the apostles and the elders, they were gathered together to consider this matter, meaning what role does the law and circumcision have as a Christian? And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Catch this, you guys. Verse 10 of Acts 15. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples 
that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. And I love this verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will, end quote. Remember these profound and prophetic words that Peter delivers at the council was because Paul confronted him in love, just as Paul's confronting the Galatians in love now. And so my friends, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, take time today to thank him for the freedom that you have because it's through what Christ has done for us that we can experience the freedom. And so why would we want to go back to bondage? Why would we give up the freedom? Now, listen, and we're gonna talk about this more in Galatians chapter five. I don't believe in losing your salvation. So that's not when I say, why would you exchange freedom in Christ for bondage and sin? What I'm saying is, why would you give up? This is, this is what I'm talking about more specifically. Why would you give up in, you know, in having an intimate relationship with the Lord for something that the world is offering you that they can't deliver? It may be pleasurable to a certain extent, but in the end, the guilt, the separation between you and God, how it affects your relationship with people around you, the consequences because of your behavior of giving yourself over to the yoke of slavery is far more burdensome and far more intolerable than what we can experience in the freedom of and in Christ. So I pray you guys, as we conclude in Galatians 5 verse 1, as we're going through this series, Christ has set us free. I pray that you will take the time to thank our Lord and Savior for the freedom that you have in Him. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.